we're continuing to spend a little bit of time in our Advent series. In fact, this is the last Sunday of Advent. The next time that we will get together to celebrate and, and light our Advent candles will be on Christmas Eve. Uh, so you did hear Pastor Mark talk about that. We almost tried to make him talk about it twice. Um, that just proves to you that your pastor wasn't paying 100% attention during announcement time today. Don't follow my example during that moment. Um, sorry about that. Uh, well, uh, today we are going to wrap up. Uh, you, you heard Ayla and Pax uh, read about our fourth candle lighting today and lead us in prayer. Let me just give you a reminder if you haven't been with us so far or if you don't have any idea what it means when we talk about Advent, why are we lighting candles? Uh, Advent is a word which is used to mark the arrival of somebody or something very special. And so the Advent season is a series of four Sundays leading up four weeks, leading up to the celebration of the birth of the Messiah, of King Jesus. He, he could have come in all kinds of different forms. He could have come as a full-grown adult king, warrior, and just overthrown everything and said, hey, you have to worship me now. But he came in humility as a baby, born and placed in a manger. He came, he came helpless and he came humble, but just because of the way he came, that doesn't mean that he came weak. Uh, either. He came as the king of kings, and so we celebrate his birth uh, at the, during the Christmas season. And so during each week of Advent, as we are in the celebration and the waiting and the building up towards the Christmas celebration, we light candles every Sunday in, uh, in the Advent season. The first candle that we lit was called the prophet's candle, which symbolizes the hope of the coming Messiah. You remember we talked about all of the, the prophetic promises of the Messiah and how they waited for generations and generations, and finally he came. The second candle that we lit is called the Bethlehem candle. This represents faith and preparation as we remember, we talked about the journey to Bethlehem and what it was really like as Jesus was born in that, in that small, seemingly insignificant town. And what we learned as we might feel, feel small and sometimes insignificant, that God would also want to do his work in our lives. The third candle that we lit last week is called the shepherd's candle, which represents joy. And we celebrated along with the shepherds last Sunday. We learned that there is something about searching for God and sharing the joy of our salvation with other people. And so today you saw Pax light the fourth candle of Advent, uh, which is called the angel's candle. Uh, this is traditionally a candle that represents peace, and sometimes it also represents praise. And today, in just a few minutes, a little bit later today, we'll also uh, look at a third thing that we can observe about the angels' engagement and involvement in this story. And so today, we're going to take a look at the angels, the role that they played in the Christmas story, maybe some lessons that we can learn. And ultimately, I hope that we can talk about some of the ways that as we light the fourth advent candle during this season that there might be something we go and do or some lesson or some gift that we receive or some new way that we go out and live as a result of the work of Jesus in our lives. We've covered already a lot during this advent season. I think today is going to be a blessing for you as well. Can we pause before we move forward at all, uh, before we move forward any further and just pray, God, we thank you for today. 
We thank you for the young people who come and lead us in this moment to remember what this season is really all about. We thank you for the gift that it is to worship you and to give you praise. We thank you that you are the the instigator of this story, that this was your idea all along. God, we thank you that this whole Christmas story is about you extending your love and your kingdom to us. And so today, Lord, we open our hearts to receive something of your kingdom. Lord, as we look at the angels in this story, would you also encourage us in our own story, in the places where we find ourselves today, and would you help me to share what you put on my heart to say from your word, uh, and inspired by these angels and by your story, to your glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we want to look at the angels today, but first of all, you you might be asking what angels are. Now, I'm not going to give you a full angelology here, uh, but I do want to just give you a brief look at what angels are. Now, their name, angel, actually means messenger, and so when you're referring to angels, you're talking about people who are messengers, and when I use that word people there, I mean that these are not human being kind of people but people in the sense that these are created beings with personalities and with a purpose that God designed them for. Now, uh, the word angel is always used in Scripture to refer to supernatural beings, not to human beings. Uh, These are supernatural beings created by God that are separate and distinct from humans. Now, there are different kinds of angels, and if you did a study on what angels are and all of the the different jobs and roles that they play, you would find that there are different kinds of angels, and that angels serve God as soldiers, uh, that there's reference to a great army of heaven, uh, an army of angels that you actually see in Scripture, uh, that they are, like their name implies, messengers, and that they also serve another role as worshipers. They are like the lead worshipers of the kingdom of heaven. There are created beings who, whose entire purpose is to set the tone for what it looks like for us to give God the kind of praise that he deserves. Amen? So now, to, to be clear, uh, angels, I've said this a couple of times, I just want to be very, very clear here as we're talking about angels today. Angels and humans are different kinds of created beings. Uh, so when, when we die, we do not become angels. We just, just want to make that clear. And, and I don't say that in any way to, be, uh, to, to make fun of anybody who's ever said that or thought that. Um, when you die, despite what Hollywood wants us to think, we do not become angels. The reason for that is the same reason that when you die, you don't become a dog, no matter how much you love dogs. Uh, that is not to say that, uh, that we don't like dogs or we don't like angels. It's just that you're not one of those, Right? So you can't become a different kind of created being. You will be given a new body, but it will not be that you will become an angel. In fact, uh, many people would argue that angels are created spiritual beings that don't have many of the attributes that God has given us. For example, uh, angels don't have a physical body like you and I have a physical body. And we'll be given a new physical body. Nothing in Scripture would imply that we become something other than human after this season of our creation experience comes to an end. 
so that is significant because we want to understand that we have a specific role to play in the kingdom of heaven, and angels also have a specific role to play in the kingdom of heaven, and it would dishonor both us and them uh, and the memories of all of those that have gone before us and died before us if we, if we think that they become something other than they actually are. So we just want to be very, very clear about that. We also want to make sure that we're uh, sensitive and gentle with our thinking as, uh, as maybe you know a loved one and maybe you thought that they became an angel. No, it's better than that. They're still exactly who they are. They're just healed and there's no tears and no sickness and death and pain. If they knew Jesus, they're experiencing God in eternal life, not as an angel, but exactly who they are because God loved them exactly who he created them to be, right? So that's actually good news. Amen? Okay, so let's talk about angels again. When we see angels in the Bible, we are seeing created beings that are given a specific identity and a task, and they are serving that task. On the flip side, in order to understand angels, we also then come to understand demons. Now, demons, actually, Scripture would teach us that demons were also created spiritual beings as angels, and that at a certain point, uh, Satan, he decided that he wanted to overthrow God and become God himself. And he was kicked out of heaven. You can study scripture for all of that. And I know this is a great Christmas sermon, isn't it? Uh, and and there, were, there were a group of angels that chose to follow Satan. Now, that tells you that these are people with personality and attributes. And you know what it also seems like they have? At, at a certain level, it seems as if they have will for whom they will worship. Now, I don't understand that fully, and I'm not trying to uh, break down all the theology 101 of angels here. I don't want to go too deep into that. But it does seem at a certain level that angels have a will to choose whom they will worship. And a certain group of angels chose to worship the devil, to follow the devil, and to serve his plan and purpose, which is to destroy you and your life. Uh, remember John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, Jesus, uh, the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and life to the fullest. So the devil has a, a legion of fallen angels of demons who are now at serving his will and, and his purpose, which is to destroy your life. But God uh, is bigger and stronger and better. It is also important for us to understand as we talk about angels and demons uh, that we are not talking, and also as we talk about the devil, that we're not talking about a created, uh, a, a being who is equally evil for God's goodness. So uh, the idea of like, the light side and the dark side of the kingdom of heaven, like the, we're, this is not Star Wars. Uh, evil, I just, and I want to be clear about this. The evil that exists in the world is created beings that are lesser than God that chose to rebel against God, not God's equal but evil version. So the devil is not as strong as, as God. And the angels are no, nowhere near as strong as... This is important so we understand the hierarchy of the way created beings work, right? We also understand that because we are the ones chosen by God as sons and daughters of the Most High, that we have authority even more than angels have because we have something that we can wield, if you will, that angels and demons both don't have, which is the name and the blood and the anointing and the authority of Jesus Christ, who is the king we're celebrating during this Christmas season. 
right? So it's important that we understand these things. So we understand as we're talking about angels, we want to understand we're not talking about somebody's great-great-grandpa who got wings and came to send a message. We're talking about a, a, a created being specifically for this purpose because God is a God of design and order. So the angels that we see in Luke's gospel are described as a multitude. This means there's a lot of them. There were many, many of them. In fact, one other time in Scripture that we can see so far in the Old Testament where we see a multitude of angels was there was a time where the prophet Elisha was hanging out with one of his servants, and there was, he, had, he had made some enemies, Elisha, because this is what happens when you talk about God a lot. Um, and, and so there, were, there was an army of people who hated God and, and God's people, and they surrounded the prophet. And his servant pokes his head out of the tent one morning to make some coffee, and he comes back in, and he goes, Elisha, we're in trouble. There's an army around us. They've surrounded us on, our, on every side. And Elisha's, like, not freaking out at all. He's just totally at peace. And, and he says, well, that's, I'm not worried about this because I can see something you can't see. And uh, the servant of Elisha is like really confused by this moment. So Elisha actually prays for him. And his prayer was, God, let the servant see what, what, what is real, what's really actually going on in this moment. Give him eyes to see. And so he looks out the tent again. And now surrounding the enemy army is an army of angels. And the way that scripture refers to that army or that multitude of angels is very similar to the way that this multitude of angels is seen in the Christmas story. And in fact, it's not a whole lot of times in human history that we will see a multitude of angels. It's really just these couple of times in scripture. And so what that tells you is that this is a significant moment. When the angels show up to, to, uh, to surround the army that surrounded Elisha, which is a really good sermon, it's fun to preach that one, but not the sermon I'm trying to preach today. But when that happened, those angels were sending a message because they are messengers. And the message that they were sending was, God's got this. And so Elisha, because he was able to observe what was happening in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, was able to follow the message. So the servant comes in from trying to make coffee in the morning. He's freaking out. But Elisha has seen God's got this. He's seen the message. And so how did Elisha respond? At peace. Don't worry. God's got this. Right? That story's really fun, by the way, uh, the way that, that the rest of that story uh, plays out. He prays a, about the enemy army, and they all get blinded, and Elisha pretends that he's helping them, and he, he leads them off uh, right into, the, right into the, the capital city of the people of, of Israel. And then he says, okay, now, God, you can give them their sight back, and they can all see again. And suddenly they're surrounded by the people that they were trying to surround, which is just incredible the way that God works that story out. But the whole point was that the angels came with a message. God's got this. And so Elisha acted accordingly. So because this is another significant moment where angels show up with a message, because they always show up with a message, we should ask, what are the lessons that we can learn like we can learn lessons from Elisha? What lessons can we learn from the way the angels showed up in the Christmas story? So I want to look at a few of those ways with you today. 
So after a singular angel shows up, that's how this story begins for the shepherds, remember? Uh, the angel, one angel shows up, he tells them the good news about the Messiah, and then all of a sudden, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, it says, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with, with the angel praising God and saying, so there was the one angel, and then a multitude of angels, doesn't tell us how many, but multitude, whole bunch of angels show up, and they are saying, as they're praising God, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. So the first act of these angels that we want to highlight today is their praise. These angels show up, and as soon as they show up, they are praising God. This is, this is the message that they are sending. We are here to give God glory and praise. Praise, if you look at the definition of the word that, that Luke uses and our understanding holistically of what praise means is, is really basic to sing praises to God. But then further, if you build that definition out a little bit more, the way we understand praise is that it's also an act of recommending something or somebody, right? I can go and uh, write a recommendation for somebody to get a job, and I'm kind of writing the praise of their life. I, I was privileged to lead a, and officiate a funeral service recently, and we were talking about the eulogy that gets written. Maybe you've read a eulogy before. You heard one read for you at a funeral service. And the word eulogy is actually rooted in the word that, is, that we get the same word praise. So when you read or write a eulogy, you're reading or writing the praise of a person's life, which is why in a eulogy they never said, you know, well, she was a great person, and then for like 20 years she was a jerk, and then, you know, we'll talk about all those details. No, they like talk about, you know, all of the praise, the good stuff, the blessing, and the, and the, and the greatness of this person's life. So we recommend or we, or, or to praise can also be linked to making a promise or a vow or to honor or this, this word that we really only use in the church world, to extol is another word to, to praise. It kind of means to, to, to lift somebody up, to, that we put this person up here and we extol them, we honor them, we, 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 we lift them high up above every person in the room. Like you're paying them tons of compliments, right? So like if you go to a, a banquet in somebody's honor, that kind of entire function is an act of like extolling that person. It's probably a word you're never going to use in your normal life. But it does mean uh, that we would pray. So what we see is that the idea of praise is not inherently bound to the object of praise. I can give you praise. I can, I can praise a good idea. But of course, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we would say the highest praise that we give is the praise that we give to God. Right? And so in this case... The message of the Messiah instigated praise towards God. It was like it was the catalyst, the spark that lit a fire of praise. And consider that moment from the perspective of the multitude of angels. These guys have been around since the beginning. And they have watched humankind mess up royally. A lot. And they have known, to whatever degree they, know, they knew, we don't fully understand, but they knew that there was a plan. That at some point God said, I'm working towards something. They knew, they would have known the Messiah plan. I, I think probably all along, to whatever degree they knew, all the details, I don't know. But they knew. 
and then they waited. And then they were sent on missions. And then the Old Testament reveals that they went to war against demonic forces on more than one occasion in heavenly realms. And they were busy, and they were waiting, and they were working, and they were watching. And then all of a sudden, after generations and generations, by the way, side note, we have no idea how time passes for angels. I know how it passes for us. Some of you are wishing that I would pass the time a little bit faster. I had a friend of mine who preached a sermon at high school for our alumni reunion at Desert Christian High School on Friday, and he started his message by saying, I've got a, I've got a message for you today. It's five hours long, so buckle up. And none of them laughed. <laughs> yeah, I was preaching to high school kids. They don't appreciate those kinds of jokes. <laughs> but consider this moment for the angels. We have no idea how long, how time passes, how they experienced, and if they were in agony waiting for God to finally, or for mankind to finally figure it out and get their act together. But whatever it was like in their experience, there's something about this moment that seems to imply these guys are stoked, right? This one angel shows up to deliver a message, and you can almost get the impression that the the multitude of angels are just standing there watching and waiting, kind of get the idea, like these are warrior-type created beings, right? Kind of get the impression that they're like, you know, nudging each other aside and like kind of kind of like 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 racehorses ready to go. We're so excited about this moment. It's been years in the making for this moment. And then the one angel delivers the message and suddenly now we get to sing the praise of God for the plan that we've been watching and waiting for him to unfold for generations. It's finally happened. And they show up and they give God the highest praise. Right? Whew, this was a good praise party. And, and a bunch of shepherds who are standing there like, what is happening right now? Just overwhelmed, stunned. Have you ever seen somebody who, who like doesn't know how to react to a person who's very excited about something? Right? It's like that moment where somebody says, I love you so much, and the other person's not ready to respond the same way, so they're like, thanks. (laughs) That's what this moment might have possibly been like. But the angels come as messengers, which means that their praise wasn't just for the sake of praising God. They've already been doing that. They're practiced praisers. Their praise was a message. Hey, we're setting the tone for what it should look like for you to respond when you see God do something good. And the thing we're praising God right now for is the goodest of all things. Right? So join us in our praise. The, the, the candle of Advent is a reminder and an invitation to join the angels in the highest praise. Look, I'm not interested in telling you you can't praise your favorite sports team or praise the person that you're in love with or praise your children when they get an A on that test. All that stuff, right? Praise that stuff. That's great. Enjoy life. You were designed to enjoy the world that we live in, but you you were designed first and foremost to give the highest praise to God. Amen? See, in fact, in fact, let's let's talk about that for a second because, because praise is so intrinsically important 
to who we are as people. Did you know that there are 250 commands to praise God in Scripture? Have you, parents, have you ever said something to your kids 250 times? Have you ever said something to your kids 250 times and then wondered why they're not doing it? I wonder how God feels about us sometimes when I wake up with an opportunity to praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of my very being and the lover of my soul, and I have 250 biblical commands to praise Him, and I have all of the evidence in the world that He's good and faithful, and I'm like... We'll give you the highest praise. Merry Christmas, everybody. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Listen to this. This is a command. Give thanks to him and bless his name. This is how we engage God. How we enter His presence is through praise. Here's a, here's a sample of uh, some of the other commands of, of praise in Scripture. Psalm 68 verse 26 says, Praise God, all you people of Israel, which for us as New Testament followers of the way of Jesus have been grafted in, Paul writes, we are grafted in. So that command for Israel now applies to us. Praise God, all you people of Israel. Praise the Lord, the source of Israel's life. 1 Chronicles 16, 8-10 says, Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim. That's a verbal. You can't proclaim in your brain. You have to proclaim through your mouth. Proclaim His greatness. Let the whole world know what He has done, which is easier than it's ever been for us before. You could praise and let the whole world know what He has done. Sing to Him, though, not just with your thumbs, but with your mouth. Yes, sing His praise. I love that, by the way. It says sing to him, and then someone's like, really, sing? Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exult in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. And Psalm 147, verse 1 says, praise the Lord. How good to sing praises to our God. How delightful and how fitting. Like, like yeah, that's, a, that's the, that comfy sweater that you wear in the wintertime. How fitting. It's a perfect fit. It's like designed exactly for you, praise. It's more than simply a, a simple command. I think it's written into the very fiber of who we are in the world. Just think about the power of music in the world. Right? Think about when that song comes on that, makes you, that reminds you of the person that you love, right? On the flip side, think about that song that reminds you of that person that you don't love that very much and all the, right? Think about that song that came out the year you graduated high school and everyone was singing it. There's, you know, your graduation song and, and all of the nostalgia that comes back into your mind when that band plays on the radio or on your Spotify playlist. It's like the nostalgia playlist of like, you know, the song that, that was like your first date or, you know, when you, when you got your first job, here was kind of the soundtrack of my first season as a, as a person who was making some money and that kind of, that music makes me feel a certain thing. Music has power. There's something about a, a God who created mankind and all of creation with the power of his voice 
that something about sound waves has always, and by the way, there's been scientific studies uh, about this, that, that actually at the fiber of our being, at the very core of who we are, like on the, on the smallest level of atoms, if you actually examine those, they actually look exactly like a sound wave, which, which makes a lot of sense when you consider that God spoke and we were, God spoke and there was light and life and sound. And so part of the way that we express life is through music. Yeah? So music is one of the most powerful things in the world. And I think we should be really good at using it to turn that back around onto God in praise. We were at our very core designed to praise God. I love Psalm 148, starting in verse 1, that says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the skies. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all the armies of heaven. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you twinkling stars. Praise Him, skies above. Praise Him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for He issued His commands, and they came into being. We were designed to give God praise. This is why when the, that dude tells Jesus, hey, tell all these people to stop worshiping you, when he's in, during the triumphal entry, he's said, saying, God, these people are embarrassing themselves. Tell them to shut up. And Jesus says, if they're quiet, the rocks would cry out. Because this moment was so pregnant with a need to praise God that if humans don't do it, creation itself will praise me, right? We were designed to give God praise. So the angels show up and do exactly what we were created to do. We don't share everything with angels, but we share this. We were created to praise God. So the angels who were created model the appropriate response. At Life Church, we say this every now and then. You've heard us say this, that at Life Church, we say free people worship, right? Because we believe that this is a natural response to God's goodness. And what was his goodness? Well, he woke you up today. Is that not enough? He, he did a couple of other things for you. You know, the, the Jesus story continues, and he dies for you. And he rose from the dead on the third day for you. So praise is the natural response. Praise is a, it has a significant portion to the joy of eternal life. In fact, I love what A.W. Tozer wrote once. He said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored or turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. So if, if Tozer's right, which I wholeheartedly agree with this sentiment, by the way, uh, if he's right, then avoiding praise is like saying you don't want to go to heaven. Where there's this pejorative kind of demeaning view of heaven, like it's going to be this boring place where you sit on a cloud with a harp and you just pluck at it for all of eternity. And, and, it, and it's like we've, we've, we've taken the idea of the most glorious expression of our existence and we've diminished it down to something and said it is going to be a boring, eternal, unending concert. 
and you're the musician, please don't make us fall asleep. Because we've completely misunderstood the power and the purpose of praise. When you get to eternal life, it will be an eternal opportunity for you to give God praise for eternity. I think it's still going to look like community. The sermon is not about what I think heaven is going to look like, but I think it's still very much going to be the context of community doing life together, and everything we will do will be an act of praise. So everything we do here should be practice for praise that never ends. Amen? So we light the fourth candle of Advent because we agree with A.W. Tozer and because we love to praise God. So the angels bring this lesson about praise. And then there's another significant thing that we see the angels bring to us. And this is really what traditionally most people would call this Advent calendar, the, or this Advent cal- candle. There's a word there. I'm not trying to say calendar. Although, if you want some chocolate later, go get one. Um, but we light the fourth candle of Advent to celebrate the peace that the angels bring, right? The angels come and they bring peace. In fact, every single time we see them encounter human beings, there's something of a bit of peace that they bring. Just think about the texts that we've covered so far as we've studied the Christmas story. In Luke 1.13, the angel visits Zechariah and says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Why did he say that? Because he was afraid. Right? Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and will name him John. In Luke 1.30 and 31, the angel visits Mary and says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Matthew 1.18-21, through 21, the angel visits Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why would he say it? Because he was afraid to take Mary as his wife. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, the angel visits the shepherd and says, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people, and tells him about the birth of the Messiah. And then the multitude of angels show up praising God, and they say, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. So again, the angels are messengers, and in this context, we see that the angels are messengers of peace, which makes a ton of sense if you consider who the master of the angels happens to be. There's a prophecy about the Messiah that we call Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So angels who are created for the purpose of praising and serving God and delivering his messages wherever they would send him, they are like ambassadors for the Prince of Peace. An ambassador is a person who is given authority by a, by, by a king or a queen to go into another land and deliver whatever messages or to represent that kingly authority, that royal authority in the land where they go. That's the job of an ambassador. And so angels, you could say, are ambassadors of the Prince of Peace because they bring peace wherever they go. 
except the moments where they fight demons, then they bring some warfare, and then when God wins, then they bring peace, right? Because they're going to represent their master. And if Jesus is also our master, if he's not just a guy that we want to buy some eternal fire insurance from, but, he, but if he's actually the master of our lives, then we also carry the message of the Prince of Peace. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 9. He says, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's like us being told to go around the world and say to people, be at peace with God. Why can we say that? Because we have peace. We light the fourth candle of Advent to remember that God has extended his peace to each of us and to take up the message of peace and share it with others. So the angels show us and they model for us praising God and delivering a message of peace. And then third, the angels also point us to God's favor. Listen again to what the angels sing in their praise to God. They say, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. That's an interesting word that I think we gloss over a lot when we share the Christmas story. They point to this specific group of people, people whom God favors. And those are the people that he would say, those people, the people he favors, they will receive God's peace. So the question is, what does it mean for God to favor someone? Favor means goodwill, kind intentions, delight, will, or choice. I I choose you. I favor you above every other person in the whole world. I favor Sharon. She's my favorite. I favor her. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I don't know why that got, that was a very weird applause. So some translations of this same praise, like, for example, the NIV, uh, give a little bit of a different picture of this idea of favor that I think is helpful. In the NIV, it says, on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's almost like a blanket would be put on you. Sharon actually has a weighted blanket uh, that she got for a gift one time, and it's just a, it's a blanket that is really heavy. And they say that if you, if you sleep with this blanket on top of you, that it helps you to get into like a deeper sleep because it feels like you're being crushed to death. And apparently that's really helpful for your sleep. Uh, but the idea uh, is, is actually positive here, that the favor of God actually seems to have some weight to it, that it actually rests on you, that it actually should change something about the, the posture and the way that you carry yourself. Uh, it, it reads as if God is, God's favor is like a mantle that is placed on you or covers you and marks something about your life. And it's clear in Scripture that favor from God does not rest on everyone. But it would rest on those who have been, as Paul would say, reconciled to Christ. 
those of us who have placed their faith in Jesus as King and Savior, as Messiah, as the promised one who saves the world and who leads and guides our lives. Once you have been reconciled to God, then uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you. So followers of Jesus are gifted with the very Spirit of God, the very choosing and presence and blessing of God. That is what it means to live under the favor of God. We don't make this decision because we're anything special, by the way. You didn't get God's favor because you were so good. Right? 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And as a result... Jesus says, it's recorded in Luke 12, 32, your father delights to give you the kingdom. So what is God's favor? He chooses, he delights to give you his kingdom. How much of it? All of it. Right? So followers of Jesus are gifted the kingdom. If you are a child of God, you are God's favorite. He picks you. He chooses you. This is the same kind of language that the angel says to Mary when he says, God has favored you. You are favored among women. And then because of the story of Jesus in its completion, its fullness, we all have God saying the same thing to us. You are favored. You are God's favorite. And then the blessing of God's favor is peace. Which sounds like the best Christmas gift that you could possibly get in 2021. Right? In the world that we're living right now, wouldn't you just like to have some peace? And I love the way that peace is described in Philippians chapter 4 verse 7, that peace passes understanding. Peace is, is, is the, the it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's hard to talk about when you say peace passes understanding, except that you would, you would be a person of peace if when everything around you is chaotic and everything, everybody around you is being triggered and you stay calm. And you can do that because you know who you are in Christ Jesus. And it doesn't mean that you never have a bad day. It doesn't mean that you never get angry. It doesn't mean that you never get sad or that you never struggle with anything at all. It means that you are rooted. You know so much that you are rooted that you are always so closely anchored to God that even in those moments of grief or anger that you know how to stay close to God and you can be, as we're told in Scripture, even angry and do not sin. That's what a person of peace can do. And doesn't Jesus, after all, in the greatest sermon ever preached that we call the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't he say, blessed are the peacemakers? I love that, by the way. We're not just saying blessed are those who are at peace, but blessed are those who make peace in the world, which sometimes feels like really, really hard work. But Paul says that peace passes understanding. It's a gift from God, supernaturally. So we light the fourth candle to celebrate the favor of God resting on our lives, giving us peace that passes understanding and inviting and leading us in to praise. So the question of the fourth 
Sunday of Advent is, are you living in God's favor and peace? Are you a person of praise? Now, I want to do something a little bit different today. It's been a different kind of a Sunday. And so I want to invite you before we close in prayer to join me in one final Advent practice before we get to our favorite Advent practice, which is that we light candles together on Christmas Eve. I don't know if maybe you've heard an announcement about that once or twice today. But so as we've heard today that the angels are messengers of God's good news, one of the fundamental responses for us in hearing the message of good news is to become a messenger of good news. And so I think it would be so incredibly important and honoring of God and even an act of praise to God if we could take a moment and practice sharing the good news that God has done in our lives for just a moment with the people around you. So we're going to practice this. This is a safe space to practice. We're going to take just a minute to do this. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of at least one thing that God has done for you. (laughs) Just one. Celia, just one. Chill out, okay? She was like, I can't do that, Pastor. Not just one? Just one. Okay? Because people want to go to lunch today, Celia. So, So think of just one thing that God has done for you. And then I want to invite you to turn and tell somebody that one thing that God has done for you. And then you're going to listen to the other person tell you in response one thing that God has done for them. And it could be as simple as maybe you're struggling with, I don't know what to say. I woke up today. God helped me get out of bed today. Oh, yes, right? Maybe you have a family member that you're celebrating or uh, God has done something for you personally. Maybe he's given you peace. And you can just simply say, now, I'm telling you right now, do not tell the whole story. Just say, this is some, one thing that God has done for me. Because, again, we've got to get out of here at some point today. Okay? But here's, here's the challenge. And this is why this is a practice in a safe space. I want you to tell a person that you didn't come to church with today. Just one thing that God has done for you. Now, this might be a great opportunity for you to say, hello, my name is, and then you tell them your name, and then you listen to them say their name, and you might find out that you meet a brand new friend today, right? You might also find out that you're telling the name of a person whose name you actually already know because they're wearing a mask that maybe, you know, uh, maybe you're just finding out today that you already knew them. So be gracious with that, uh, but find out who they are, and all of that. Now, I just want to encourage you, please, at Life Church, we are practicing being a good neighbor. There are plenty of people in this room who would prefer that you wear a mask, so I'm just going to ask you for the sake of being a good neighbor during this practice, please put a mask on just so that everyone we can guarantee will feel comfortable with this practice. Fair game? Okay, so just toss a mask on, think of one thing that God has done for you, and you're probably going to have to stand up to do this, and then go and find a person you didn't come to church with, and then tell them the good thing, and then listen to them. And then, and then together, just a quick prayer, God, thank you for the good thing that you've done in our lives, all right? And then when you're done with that, when it feels like you are kind of now talking about the football game, I will call us back, and I will lead us in a closing prayer. Go and practice being a messenger of the good news that God has done in your life. Ready? Begin. Awesome.
If you're joining us online today, if you're right there on YouTube, just type in the comments. We want to see what God has done in your life as well. We celebrate that. Love it. All right. Now, you should be at least on the second person sharing a good thing. So make sure you share those. And then just real quickly, pray together. Say, Give God some praise together. God, we thank you for the good thing that you are doing in our lives. Awesome. Love it. All right, let me call you back. We're going to wrap up in prayer. Sounds like some of you are telling stories. Did you do just one thing? Good girl. <laughs> All right. Now, this has been our practice as well during this series. We are going to conclude this time in the Word by praying the same prayer that uh, Paxton and Ayla led us in this morning as they were lighting the fourth candle. Would you join me as we conclude our time together today, as we come together to pray and we say, God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. Help us, God, to receive the good news of his arrival by the signs you have given us in your word and with the same joy as the shepherds. Help us to recognize the presence of Jesus in our lives. Jesus, we come today to worship you, not simply as a child, but as our king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right.